You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, your trusted source for all things San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Floor. Joining me, as always, on this beautiful Wednesday night, Editor-in-Chief of San Jose Hockey Now and my co-host, Shang Peng. Shang, how are you doing tonight? Very good. Mushu is being very strange next to me. She's digging into all of the blankets, trying to find the right place uh, for herself to settle in. That's what she, she likes to do. She likes to dig at blankets and <laughs> for like five minutes at a time. And <laughs> just so she can, she can, she can put her, her Royal butt down in the, in the, in the right spot. <laughs> just sounds like Mushu's just doing her typical rounds around her fortress there. We're getting all of our hashtag Mushu updates for those that are uh, interested there. So nice to see that she's uh She's getting comfy and she's good to go. So on this week's episode though, folks, we are going to discuss if Bob Bugner should be on the hot seat. This is a well talked about subject all over any and all social media. So it's something uh Shang and I figured with this current COVID postponement in the NHL, it's a great time now more than ever to talk about and uh at least you guys can hear our side or our perspective on the subject. Afterwards, we get into the Christmas spirit and give you, the listener, our most loved, underrated, and overrated Christmas movies. Uh, but first, as always, what we like to do is note the date. It is December 22nd, 10 o'clock. So if any breaking news happens and this is outdated, we apologize. Um, and of course, a quick shout out to our social media handles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at SJ Hockey Now Pod. You can follow the network at HockeyPodNet. And you can follow myself at Nick Floor underscore Shang. Uh, you can find me at Shang underscore Peng and all my work at San Jose Hockey Now and NBC Sharks. Perfect. And before we jump into the Bob Bugner news or the Bob Bugner talk, I should say, we're going to give a, a quick current update on all the news surrounding the Sharks. Uh, just recently, Jonathan Dolan, Tomas Hurdle, Brent Burns, and Jasper Weatherby were all put in COVID protocol. Uh, Burns was the oldest of the four there. And I'm not just talking about his age as a player. I'm talking about his entry into COVID protocol. So uh, really quick, Shang, what's the possibility of getting... Uh, these players back for that game on the 27th. Yeah, uh, so the Sharks had their two games this week postponed against Vancouver and Edmonton. Their next game is December 27th at Anaheim, scheduled. Uh, I think it's possible that even that game gets gets moved off too now that the NHL is not going to the Olympics. But let's say they do play on December 27th. Brent Burns was put in COVID protocol uh, retroactive to December 17th. Haven't seen that before, but uh, yeah. that should, uh, if he is symptomatic, um, that 
as as long as he is uh, is good and ready to go uh, in ten days, uh, then he should make it by then. But Dolan and Hurdle, they were both put on on December twenty first. Uh, Jasper Weatherby put on today, December twenty second. So those guys are very open question marks for December twenty seventh because the way it works is if you're asymptomatic, then you just need back to back negative tests to get out of protocol. And that's actually what uh, Jonathan Dolan did um, in uh, late October when he was put on protocol with all the players, uh, when all those players got put on uh, before the Winnipeg game. Uh, Dolan was back by the very next game against Buffalo. Um, I think it was a course of four days or so. So the Winnipeg game was October 30th. The Buffalo game was November 2nd. Dolan was back in the lineup by then because he was asymptomatic and he tested negative. Uh, he had back-to-back negative tests. So okay. if that proves to be the case again with Dolan and Hurdle, then they can be back by by uh, by December 27th. Uh, but if they have symptoms, if they're symptomatic, um, then... They, and, and they keep testing positive, then they're going to be gone for 10 days, which will include uh, December 27th against Anaheim, December 28th uh, against Arizona. I think the 30th, they have Philadelphia. And so you will scratch those guys out of those those games if they are symptomatic. And the same goes for Jasper Weatherby. Okay, so it sounds like that's something that we all need to keep our eye on. Make sure you're... Uh... You're subscribed over there at San Jose Hockey Now. At least followed on Twitter if you're not subscribed because uh, Shang will be providing the updates as soon as he gets them. Yeah, I'll keep tracking that stuff down. Uh, with the doll and stuff, I will say that I was the very first. Uh, I had a source that indicated to me that Dolan was not uh, symptomatic at that time uh, in late October. And so I was able to uh, f- to figure out that, that he was going to be able to come back in short order and he was able to come back. And I haven't tracked that, that information down yet for Dolan, Hurdle or Weatherby. Um, I have tracked it down for Vander Kane uh, and he is symptomatic and he's also not relevant to the Sharks. But uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'll keep uh, working on on those uh, those other three Sharks players there and. Hopefully, uh, ho- hopefully uh, these these guys are asymptomatic, and so they're back by uh, the first practice is scheduled to be December twenty sixth. So, all right. Well, that's just been your uh, your current news with Champagne, <laughs> your Sharks update. Uh, now to our more, uh, I guess, hot topic. Hopefully, we don't get trademarked for that. Please don't sue us. Hot topic. <laughs> Um, Bob Bugner. Now, this is something that we've talked about uh, just between you and I, Shane, on whether or not we should bring this up. It's something that gets floated after every single Sharks loss, and I'm sure everyone listening has uh, witnessed that either on Reddit or Twitter or, hell, even Facebook, if you're in, like, a Sharks Facebook group. Um, but the, the first thing, we, we want to just preface this with some information, obviously. I'm going to start off with Bob Bugner's contract. So Bob Bugner took over for, uh, for Peter DeBoer in that 2019-2020 season. And uh, got the interim job there. And then he got a three-year extension from the Sharks. So that includes last season, the current season we are playing in, and next season. So the end of 2022-2023 season as far as his contract goes. So um, 
the main reason why we're bringing this up is because uh you know depending on performance there's a possibility that uh Bob Bugner could be let go now again that's all speculative or speculative from me um just again it would it would take a specific number of things or at least a scenario that we might talk about later um just to get into some more information as far as Bugner's coaching record and two and a half years with the Sharks. Again, this includes his interim stint, the COVID impacted year and the current record as of right now, he's 50, 62 and 11 in 123 games, putting him at a 451 points percentage. That's the sixth worst point percentage in the league. And that also includes no playoff appearances, obviously. That extends back to his uh, tenure with the Panthers. Those two years, he was the head coach for the Florida Panthers. He also had zero playoff appearances. So, Shang, first thoughts on this so far? Yeah, um, I think the big question right now, it's just a general topic. There is nothing out there that suggests that Bob is in danger. Um, nor necessarily should there be at the moment. Uh, I think the Sharks at the moment have outperformed their expectations. So uh, it's more a general topic that Nick brought up a couple weeks ago that I think is a good conversation to have in general, just to talk about sort of uh, Bob's uh, hits and misses. Mm -hmm. And then you know then then we sort of will come to our conclusion or our thoughts of whether or not Bob Bugner should be on the hot seat. And personally myself, I like Bob very much and this is just on a personal level. Um uh, as a reporter uh dealing uh with a public figure or a reporter dealing with a coach. Uh I've never dealt with a more accommodating coach in so far as his willingness to explain tactical things uh with no you know it's it's not a stress point to him and also too his candidness about his players his willingness to tell you what he wants from his players what they're lacking what they're doing well he's very clear about these things uh, to us the reporters and i'm sure he's very clear with his players about it too now none of that makes bob a good coach by by yeah. any means uh but uh, at least uh, for me personally, it makes him a very easy to deal with coach, a very pleasant and very good to deal with coach. And uh, I've dealt with Peter DeBoer when he Peter uh, when when Pete was in San Jose, and I've dealt with Gerard Gallant uh, when Gerard, Gerard Gallant uh, was coaching the first tier Vegas team, and had my ups and downs with him uh, with both of those coaches. Those are different stories for different times, <laughs> but. You know, Bob, uh, through a lot of losing, uh, too, and yes, you can say some of it was by his own hand. Uh, just for example, yes, they should have started James Reimer in the last game before the break. I, I agree with those of you who say that. I don't think that's uh, a matter to to keep or to fire a coach, but yes, yeah, yeah they, they should have played the, the, the hotter uh, goalie to... to uh, uh, yeah, before their, uh, what was going to be uh, just a few-day weekend break there. But anyway, uh, through a lot of uh, tough times, uh, Bob has been uh, the utmost uh, uh, professional, but also to not just professional, he's been helpful. 
you know, if you read a typical story of mine, uh, Bob is going to be the most common quote. And it's not because he's the only guy we can talk to. It's because he's usually the most in- insightful. And so I think, again, this bears no weight of, uh, in terms of his quality as a coach. But I would say that if you're a reader of my work, you should be very pleased that Bob Bookner is the coach that I'm dealing with because he answers uh, the questions that I want. Uh, and I'll say it, you know, better than Pete or uh, Gerard Gallant did. And DeBoer and Gallant, Pete and, and Turk had their reasons for being a little more um, reticent to answer things and good reasons too. Um, but for me, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been great to deal, deal with Bob. And uh, so anyway, just 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 uh, just just want to put that out there first. So um, but like I said, uh, that has no bearing on his uh, quality as a coach. And there are two things that are very true about Bob Bookner, and they're both on different sides of the spectrum here. Uh, First, he hasn't been dealt a great hand in terms of talent. And when I say that. Uh, I need to emphasize uh, because someone will say, oh, well, you have Eric Carlson, you have Brent Burns. Yeah, you ha- Bob Bungar has had a bunch of big-name stars, but we're talking about lesser to a lot lesser versions of Joe Thornton, of Patrick Marlowe, of Eric Carlson, of Brent Burns, of Mark Edward Vlasic, of Martin Jones. You know, uh, seriously, uh, uh, much lesser versions in a number of these cases. Yeah. We're talking about death that includes... Last year, no Greg or Dylan Gambrell as your third line centers. These aren't Bob problems. These aren't Bob things necessarily. Yeah. Um, so that's you know that's so that's my thought in terms of he. I don't think he's been dealt a good hand in terms of, of, of overall talent. But the other uh, the, uh, on the other other side of the spectrum, since Bob Bugner took over in December 2019, the Sharks are like you mentioned, they're 26th in the league in points percentage. That's no good. Um, so I think that's what we're going to try to suss out here right now. Just what has Bob done well as a coach and what has he done poorly and where, you know, where does that all, all, all leave, uh, leave us or leave our opinion of him? Yeah, Shang, we've, uh, in talking about this, we've narrowed down some main points to kind of dissect, uh, the first point of which is identity. Now, that's something that comes up in hockey cliches more than anything is we played our game or we let them play their game or we have this identity. And uh, the Sharks have somewhat found their identity this year, wouldn't you say? It looks like they've figured out something that works for them. Uh, they are, uh, I know some, some people don't like this because it's not exciting hockey, but the team is a dump and chase team that is defense first. And the results have been there insofar as uh, right now, they've given up 2.8 goals uh, per game, which is 13th in the league. Compared to that to last year when they gave up, uh, where they gave up 3.5 goals a game. So they've shaved off. Uh, quite quite a bit from their goals against average. And it's not just about goals against average. So we've talked a lot about this uh, with the Sport Logic stat of the week. Uh, the Sharks right now are sixth in the league in terms of quality chances given up, which means that they've been a pretty tight defensive team. Of course, they're going to make mistakes. Every team's going to make mistakes. There's going to be moments where Aiden Hill, James Reimer, you know, left their own devices, and those guys got to make the big save. But 
it's happened a lot less last year where the goalie's been sort of hung out to dry. And it's because the team has, and I wrote an article about this a couple of days ago, uh, what's changed tactically for the Sharks defensively. Um, and uh, long story short, and again, we could thank Bob for furnishing a very basic explanation and saving me from grind, having to grind too much tape to figure it out. <laughs> um, but Bob basically said that Last year, their forward uh, in the defensive zone, their their forwards would be looking to kind of cheat up the ice, you know, push the offense, try to get that stretch pass, um, you know, try to get that 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 breakaway play, that sort of thing, right? And yeah. when that works, that's great, obviously, because you have a breakaway, you have a two on one, that sort of thing, right? But when it doesn't work, like it didn't a lot last year. Um, you you get you end up with a 3.5 goals against average, and so this year what's happened is that the Sharks are not uh, encouraging that guy to try to stretch out. They're actually encouraging him to go the other way, to go back and to protect the slot, and for the team to come out with the puck together. And in that story that uh, that I had just come out for NBC Sharks and is also on San Jose Hockey now. Basically the the title of the story is uh, what defensive, what tactical change has transformed the Sharks uh, this year. And that's basically it in a nutshell, that instead of having a forward push out for offense and try to push the opposition the other way, uh, the forward now is encouraged to sink back in and help defensively and have and then the sharks will come out with a puck together in a five-man unit shorter passes not as many bids for breakaways or uh, stretch passes that sort of thing but it all adds up to a better team defense a better environment for a james reimer and or a aiden hill to succeed and so in that sense uh i think the sharks have found a formula that has been uh pretty successful uh, uh so far um you know, it's they're not a perfect team. They're still five points out of the playoffs. But the product that we're watching on a nightly basis, and trust me, uh, <laughs> uh, I was in the arena for a lot of. I mean, I know a lot of a lot of you guys are watching on TV, so I shouldn't say that. You know, uh, but I was up close for a lot of the ugliness last year. <laughs> the last year, that team was not a cohesive team. That team. Uh, one of my favorite stats that I pulled up actually um, was last year. Uh, the Sharks uh, were. Uh, were like, I think the 29th uh, uh, or basically the, thir the third worst team in the league in terms of uh, their winning percentage uh, with the with with the lead after two periods. So basically, oh when the Sharks had a lead after two periods, uh, there was no sense of of security. Uh, last year, the Sharks uh, with a lead after two periods, they won 11 of 16 games. I think the record was 11, one and four. So uh, one, so going, you know, going into the, the third with a lead, uh, they won 11 times. They lost outright once and they lost an overtime or the shootout four times. Uh, this year, the Sharks in the same situation with a lead uh, after two periods, they're 10, zero and zero. And I don't think that's, that's an accident. I uh, spoke with Matt Nieto about it in that article, and he said that, yeah, last year he felt like the team in that situation, something bad would happen. Martin Jones would give up questionable goal. There might be a penalty or something, right? And the team would, he used the word meltdown. 
not my word, meltdown. That's a pretty serious word for a, a player to use. That's a very, uh, you know, headline grabbing, grabbing word, right? Uh, he used that word. And this year we're seeing a team that is way better with the lead, a team that you could trust more. It's, and they're not going to be bulletproof. They're not going to, they're not likely to have a perfect record, uh, you know, sustain that perfect record uh, with, you know, going into a third period with a lead. But I think that's one area where you can just see a team that is much more comfortable with itself. And, and yeah. And so, so, so that, so like I said, uh, going back to identity, uh, dump and chase, not a lot of offense, yes, but a way better defense. And again, you see it in how they've cut their goals against. Yeah, and that, I, that pretty much matches the eye test and a lot of complaints. It's like the Sharks never played a full 60 minutes ever last year. just seemed like everything, like Nieto said, would just melt down. Or as Martin Jones said, people would just go their separate ways or do their own thing. Um Getting back to their identity, though, Shang, it it does seem as though that offensive carryover or or the lack of offense does did seem to carry over. We do the Sport Logic stat of the week uh, weekly here to try to dissect for the listeners what intricacies of the games that we can point out as to what would bring the Sharks success or what is not bringing them success. And uh, one of the things that I noted pre. Vancouver, of course, this is pre-Vancouver stats, is that the Sharks were uh, bottom 10 in the NHL in nine of the 13 statistical categories in, in, in offense. And essentially, it boils down to, uh, like you said, dump and chase and very minimal four-check chances, not a lot of rush chances, not a lot of anything, essentially. And, and the two biggest things for that, I think, that really highlights this identity factor for the Sharks is they're 27th in the NHL in goals for and expected goals for. The number's like .02 off from each other. So they're scoring the exact amount of goals that they're expected to. It just It's not very high. And uh, you're going to get those defensive games where, yeah, you might you're going to win some here, or like you said, especially after the second period, if you're ten and zero, you can turtle effectively and and play great and keep those perimeter shots. Um, but at some point, you got to score goals. So, yeah, yeah, but you know, to play devil's advocate a, a little bit, um, the the Sharks uh, aren't scoring uh, a lot this year, right? Uh, right now, they mm-hmm. are at uh, two point six goals per game. Again, they're at two point eight goals against. Uh, last year, actually, uh, they were also at 2.6 and goals per game, uh, but with a way worse goals against average. So, mm-hmm. uh, so basically the offense hasn't changed, but the defense has improved significantly. Uh, but if you want to talk about sort of the, you know, the identity and, you know, I talk about, I, you know, I, I'm talking about how the Sharks have found their identity this year, but yeah. of course the astute listener will wonder well uh, this is bob bogner's third year as a sharks coach what took them so freaking long (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it's a very fair question um you know last year they went into the season we talked you know if you remember the talk before uh the last off season the you know the covid 2020-21 season it was a lot of talk about speed uh they brought in rocky thompson uh a lot of talk about you know unlocking the the offense and you know, uh, 
sort of taking advantage of Eric Carlson and Brent Burns and having, uh, you know, these multiple Norris Trophy, you know, the two best offensive defensemen, uh, basically of their generation, uh, and and how you can unlock that, and that did not work out. That you know, that that was a, that was a disaster to be honest. You know, the power play was 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 awful. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, like I said, uh, they scored two point six goals per game, and they gave up three point five. Uh, not, not a winning formula there. That is not a winning formula. That's not close to winning formula. Uh, and and so I think where you can criticize Bob Bugner there is that I mean you can understand what he was thinking. Like okay, I mean let's you know go back. You know you you mentioned sort of the timeline with Bob a little bit. Um, he takes over in twenty eighteen nineteen. It's a, it's a rough year for a lot of different reasons. Okay, you know, he's an interim guy. He, he can't get the team out of, out, of, out, of, out of the depths. All right, you know, let's give him another chance. 2019, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 2019-20. Uh, oh, I'm up my years now. Oops, sorry. Uh, Bob Bonner took over in 2019-20, not 2018-19, 2019-20. So... So anyway, so so 2019-20 again that year that interim year is sort of a wash. Um, so going into 2020-21, Bob Bugner's first full year as a Sharks head coach, you know he's looking at a team that okay is a year removed from the Western Conference Finals. Um, yeah, 2019-20. Burns had a down season. Carlson had a down. A lot of people had down seasons, but it's just they're just one year away from some of their best hockey. In 2018-19, Brent Burns was a Norris Trophy finalist. In 2018-19, Carlson was still one of the best defensemen in the world. So why not think more offensively to unlock them? You know, if that's the way he looked at it, and I think the the picture of it made sense. It just backfired spectacularly because both I think Carlson and Burns had lost enough of their games, especially Carlson last year where it just wasn't going to happen as much, you know, as, as offensive forward, as, as, as you wanted him to be as much as you discourage the point shot, which is what, what Bob did do. He wanted both Carlson and Burns to be attacking more from below the tops of the circles. But if those guys just don't have it um, and a talent isn't there around them either, which it wasn't, well, you're going to end up with, uh, basically a negative goal, neg- negative one goal differential on average per game. Um, so you can fault him for for implementing a more offensive system in 2020 21 that didn't work, but you can also understand where he was coming from. Um, now, 20, you know, this year, this system that's kind of worked now where it's a bit more defensive and it's a bit more of a sacrifice, especially from the forwards who aren't looking for the stretches. But it's also for the defensemen, too. Eric Carlson, Brent Burns aren't having as many opportunities to kind of go for those long bomb passes, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a, it's a sacrifice from, from them, too, or for them. But uh, again, so far it's 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 working out uh, this year, and we'll see if it can last the whole year. Uh, but it also, if you want to dock Bob for last year, I think that's fair. But there's also, like I said, uh, extenuating kind of circumstances for uh, why it, it didn't, why his plans last year didn't work out, and there's good reasons for his plans, but again, just didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, you're talking 
just to go back to that really quickly before we move on to our next topic, um, the extenuating circumstances, you know, you don't get a full training camp. You're kicked out of your, your home ice arena. You got to relocate everybody to Arizona. Um, it's, I think it's, it, it's fair to, to look at that as a reason, but it's also fair to look at on, you know, two sides of the same coin, like you said, to be able to look at that and say, you know, maybe we adapt differently or, or, or be able to, to make those adjustments throughout the course of the season instead of uh, defining insanity at that point. So it is good to see him from a Sharks fan's perspective. It's good to see him roll out and try to cater more towards his players' strengths now instead of what their strengths were five years ago. So um, moving into our next, I guess, bulletin point here or our next emphasis our point of emphasis would be and you ha- you have it titled getting the most of his players so shang how is how is bob essentially we're gonna we're gonna start with the the more positive side and then just like the previous point we'll flip it over the exact opposite so who has bob been getting the most of now as opposed to last year i think bob deserves at least some credit for timo meyer's uh, breakout campaign um you know timo looked a little bit well more than lost uh you know the last couple of years and not just under bob but also under pete DeBoer in that 2019-20 season and weren't you know i, I think a lot of us weren't sure if the sharks were going to get that value from timo that four-year, $24 million contract that they signed him after the 2018-19 season, a 30-goal season. Uh, we weren't sure if if, if that even that Timo Meyer was ever coming back. And the Timo Meyer that we've got this year is even better than the 30-goal Timo Meyer from 2018-19. That Timo Meyer was, uh, the 2018-19 one, was a supporting player on a great team, uh, did not have to face the you know the best defensive matchups, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this Timo Meyer is another level above that one. And to some degree, I think Bob's sort of tough love, I think, paid off here finally with, with Timo Meyer. It looks like it. It looks like it finally is. And... I think there there's a lot of criticism, I think, over the last couple of years about how Bob used Timo, uh, you know, over, you know, underplaying him. Uh, why was Evander Kane getting more playing time than Timo Meyer? Um, you know, questions, questions like that. And mm-hmm. I think that the reality of it was that Timo was not better than Evander Kane. As many issues as Evander Kane has or, or whatnot, uh, Evander Kane is a pretty good hockey player. And Timo Meyer was not better than uh, Evander Kane, even though some shot metrics and whatnot support Timo. But, you know, Timo was not necessarily giving his all defensively. A lot of those detailed things, you know, that are cliched, but they weren't as, as strong. And I've written multiple stories about the last couple of years. So it's not me just parroting the coach's line. There's GIFs I pulled, video I pulled uh, back to the 2019-20 season of, you know, Timo Meyer basically, as a scout put it, giving giving the Sharks his B game. Timo Meyer, we've gotten a lot of of, of, of Meyer's B game uh, the last two years. This year, we're finally getting his A game on a almost every night basis, and beautiful you can see the, diff- the difference, right? Huh? So it's a beautiful thing to watch. 
it, it's it's a, it's very fun to watch. Uh, he's probably the guy that I enjoy watching the most on the Sharks right now because we are getting the sort of the the maximum Meyer right now. And I think, like I said, that that uh, maybe this one this this wouldn't have happened if if Bob hadn't been so tough on him uh, over the last couple of years and called him out in the media and had many uh, one on one talks, uh, you know, with them. And one of the actually interesting things that Bob said this year is that, you know, he gave credit to Timo. Uh, last year when Bob would, would come to him with stuff that maybe was a little more confrontational, a little more defensive from from, from uh, Meyer. And whereas this year, uh, Meyer has been more open to, to critique from the coaching staff and in implementing it in his game. And so I, that's an interesting thing that, that Bob shared that, um, of course, we don't see the, the nuts and bolts of it because we're not in, in the room there. Um, but regardless, though, I think that it's been, you know, I think it's, uh, it's, it's uh, uh, sort of patience rewarded, I guess, the relationship between a Bob Bugner and a Timo Meyer. And a good example of, you know, getting the most out of one of your most, if not your most talented forward. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly that, you know, you can respond to criticism one way or another, and it seems like Timo has taken it and ran with it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like running off on tangents here too much, but it reminded me a lot of like the, the Brandon Ayuk situation. Shane, you're a fantasy football guy, so you kind of know how that worked out. Uh, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch both openly criticized Brandon Ayuk for things that he was doing off the ball, you know, not what he was doing with the ball, but off the ball. And it seemed like Timo Meyer, like you said, was given his B game or like, as the scout said, was giving his B game. Now it seems like he's a full 200 foot player who's hard on the forecheck, even harder on the back check and showing just how great you can play on offense when you are so well structured defensively. Right, right. And to kind of cap off your point, that's exactly how Bugner summarized it, that Timo learned that good defense basically leads to more offense. And that's informed all of Timo's game this year. I wonder if Bob Bugner is going to try to take that, that. I'm sure he is trying to take that MO into the Sharks' entirety of their game. Sure. Whereas, you know, they're, they're so good defensively. You know, maybe it takes a whole year of implementing that. But if he continues on this year and goes on to his final contract year next year, if the offense starts to come out of these sharks while still remaining defensively strong. So I'm sure that's what he'd love. So, and I'd love to Bob, (laughs) Uh, our next player though, who has shown not, who has not just gotten support from Bob, but has shown significant amounts of support would be uh, Logan Couture. Uh, I don't know if you recall this Shank, but when he was let go by Florida, Couture tweeted out, and rarely do players publicly and openly uh, advocate for a a coach or a person to come to their team, especially in the hockey world. You know, sure you'll see like a football player tweet, you know, go get him or something like that, but maybe not so much in the NHL world. But Logan Couture openly tweeted out that he wanted the Sharks to go get Bob Bugner. Bob Bugner comes in as an associate or an assistant underneath. Um, uh, underneath Peter DeBoer. Sorry, I purged his name from my memory. Sadness just brings me too much sadness. But um, and you know he he's wearing the C, and Bob has given him 
certain rites of passage, you know, like Jonathan Dolan telling him that, you know, Couture telling Bob that he wants Dolan on his line and Dolan's been off to a great start. So you're seeing that sort of uh, player coach relationship in that sense from Timo Meyer now to a different side to Logan Couture pay off for Logan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I think that does speak to that whatever has gone on with the Sharks the last uh, couple of years, uh, the Evander Kane locker room uh, strife, the poor record, Bob Bugner seems to have the support of the leadership uh, of the Sharks, be it Logan Couture, be it Brett Burns. I think the those are the two guys who stand out the most. And those are the two probably the two most respected uh, of veteran voices in a room too. Um, and so if you have the backing of, of those two guys, then you have the potential to, to do a lot there. And you have the potential to get the most out of younger players like a Timo Meyer, because a Timo Meyer sees a Logan Couture, a Brent Burns has Bob Bugner's back. And I think, um, I think I think that is a little underappreciated insofar as if Bob is able to kind of rally his record back uh, as a Sharks coach, um, it's going to be a lot of it is going to be because he had the support from the beginning of 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 the of the top guys. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And if we go into next season and the, the Sharks are a significantly better team, you know, being able to pull up even better prospects than they have this season and. Uh, make a more well-rounded team and, and Bob can find a way to turn this team around and make that playoff push um, as opposed to being on the hot seat what we're talking about today it's a possibility he can end up getting an extension so just put that in your guys's brains for a second uh, moving on to the other side of the coin about getting the most of his players we talked about um, the Bob Bugner doghouse you can hashtag that the Bugner doghouse the Bob house if you want to call it that um one uh, player, so the, that, bog house. the bog house, <laughs> the bog or the Bob house. <laughs> yeah. Hey, whatever, whatever the internet decides, we don't decide it. It's what the people want, Shane. That's all that matters. Uh, one player that has not benefited from the, the criticisms or from being in the Bob house would be Kevin LeBanc. I'm going to let you take this one, Shane. This is all you, man. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, Kevin is a really interesting, uh, contrast with, uh, Timo Meyer. Um, they're both, uh, about the same age. I think they're one year apart. Uh, they both came to the Sharks at roughly the same time. And I think that they were both seen, you know, if we'll go back to 2018, 19, they were both seen as the young Sharks that were you know, that, that we're both going to take on more responsibility in the coming years and keep the sort of the Sharks tradition of winning uh, going on. And obviously for both of them, uh, the last two years, they, they have not been able to kind of keep up the, the tradition of the Sharks. It's not all of them, obviously, but they both had rough seasons, uh, rough back-to-back -back seasons. And where you started sort of questioning if it was ever going to come out, if it ever was going to turn around for either guy, really. Yeah. And obviously with Timo, we, we've seen it turn around in a significant way. Um, you know, if 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 uh, if, if the All Star Game voting was ended, or if they play the All Star Game tomorrow, Timo Meyer would be the the Sharks uh, the Sharks forward rep. I don't think there's any question about that. 
Kevin LeBanc, though, has gone totally the wrong way. And even uh, even a, a more kind of um, a more precipitous drop uh, than anyone could have expected because, you know, Kevin LeBanc went from a 2019-20, you know, guy bouncing around, but still a guy playing on a second, third line. Popped in 33 points, not great, you know, but, uh, you know, still half a point of game production. Last year, about the same. I think uh, Kevin scored uh, 28 points or something like that in 56 games. Uh, Kevin did get some time on a top line with Logan Couture and Evander Kane and did well in spots there. Uh, but this year, uh, Kevin LeBanc was dropped uh, because the Sharks had a little more depth and some of their, as you put it last week, Nick, their hopium, uh, guys like Jonathan Dahlin, uh, uh, Alexander Barabanov, uh, worked out. Uh, so you could push a Kevin LeBanc down in the lineup. And on the surface, that looks like a demotion, and it probably was. But on the other hand, though, that was an opportunity for Kevin LeBanc to show his stuff, to show that he could drive a bottom six line and that he was he was he's a guy that okay, you put me on the third line, I'm gonna I'm gonna carry that line, I'm gonna figure it out, and I'm gonna make you put me back in the top six. Obviously, nothing like that happened. That's <laughs> that's just uh some uh some Ray Bradbury there, some sci fi there. Uh but <laughs> Yeah, Kevin LeBanc ended up with six points in 21 games before uh, suffering a dislocated shoulder. Now Kevin LeBanc is out for three months. So uh, we don't know this year if, if Kevin was ever going to get to that more positive place that a Timo Meyer got to. But uh, so far this year, though, we didn't see it. And so some of so sort of that tough love that that Bob passed on both of them, you know, sort of uh, Meyer soaked it in and LeBanc, I guess, has not. And part of the fault obviously goes to the player. Um, and I like, uh, I've said it many, many times before, I like Kevin LeBanc's overall game. I think he's a very talented playmaker. I think that he's an excellent complementary piece on a, uh, on, uh, on a top three line. You know, he shouldn't be the best player on that line, probably. But if he's your second or third best player on a line, he, he can help that line score. There's not uh, too many questions about that. If you look at his overall uh, productivity in his career. Uh, but uh, he did not step up and take kind of the really, you know, what the Sharks really, really needed from him was to provide that secondary scoring uh, to support the top two lines. And if he had been able to do so, he would have been such an asset to the Sharks, such an asset to the Sharks, would have turned the Sharks into a surefire playoff team, I would say, and even a fringes cup contender, if they could have gotten that kind of uh, reliable third line scoring from a Kevin LeBanc, from a Nick Bonino. But anyway, that's neither here nor there, uh, because that did not happen. And isn't going to happen, obviously, with LeBanc for the next three months. But it's on Bob, too, though, because you got to find a way to reach your players, obviously. And there isn't a question about Kevin LeBanc's talent. And we've seen him put in, I think, including 2018-19. We, he's scored, uh, just doing rough math in my head, over 100 points over the last three seasons uh, in a limited number of games, obviously, because they weren't all full seasons. This is a guy that should be scoring you 30, 40 points with his eyes closed and maybe up to 50 if you put him with the right people. Um, and that's not all on Bob in the sense that he hasn't always had enough of the right people uh, 
three years ago, Peter DeBoer had the benefit of putting Kevin LeBanc with a still impactful Joe Thornton in 2018-19. And they were able to, you know, to, to team up and make some magic together. LeBanc had a career-high 56 points. Um, Bob hasn't had as many options in his bottom six in terms of who he could put a Kevin LeBanc with. Even in his top six, he hasn't had as many options either. But regardless, though, uh, whatever Bob is doing with with a Kevin LeBanc may not be anything wrong, but it hasn't really quite crystallized or resulted in any any greater production from a very expensive player for one, right? Kevin LeBanc is signed for two more years after this year at $4.75 million. Um, and also just a guy who is talented and you got to get something out of him. And uh, Bob has not got enough out of him. Um, and that's, that's, those are just the facts there. Yeah. You know, pressure can either burst a pipe or make a diamond. And so Meyer turned into the diamond and LeBanc's pipe burst. So, um, you can, you can point the finger at both sides and both are equally as responsible for their production. Each player is its own individual, you know, no single way of, uh, discipline or criticism is going to work for every guy in that locker room. And I think that's something important to kind of understand that each person is their own individual. And um, much like you said, if you're Bob, you got to find a way to get to squeeze whatever sort of productivity that you can out of Kevin LeBanc because he's getting paid to do it. So um, you would hope that now, again, we won't know, um, for, for, I mean, who knows how long he has a dislocated shoulder, like you said, if he even gets back on the ice uh, this season, that they want to make sure that he's healed. I'm sure they don't want to rush him back um, for no reason. Um, so we, we may not know if that will come to fruition. So I just wanted to add a note, too, uh, because uh, uh, we may not get to it later. Um, I have, we, we mentioned LeBanc in particular here because he's a younger guy that is clearly still, you know, still skating well, still has a lot of really talent at his fingertips and at his disposal. Like, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to criticize Bob Bugner for, say, Mark Edward Vlasic's decline. That's a physical thing that Bugner wasn't going to reverse. Uh, even though on the, on the other side, too, I'm not going to give Bugner a ton of credit for Eric Carlson's revival this season, nor will I criticize him much for Eric Carlson's poor play last year either, because I think a lot of that, again, is where Eric is feeling physically and, and mentally. And those are not things that I think necessarily Bob Bugner affects too much either way. I'm uh, also not going to critique or credit Bob too much for the things that a uh, Brett Burns or a Logan Couture do on the ice too, because I think both Couture and Burns are always going to give it their all and do their best, and whatever their bodies can kind of give is, you know, you're going to get That's the most you. of it, uh, yeah. and that could be under any coach. That, that would be under Pete DeBoer. That's under Bob Bugner. Um, so yeah, so I just wanted to add, add that note that. I think uh, Meyer and LeBanc are more instructive cases for, you know, sort of the Bob Bugner effect on them because they're both very young player, younger players that are both very, you know, very much in their primes in terms of talent. And it is interesting to see how both of them have, have gone in different ways. That's great. That's a great point. Uh, our final example of uh, getting the most of your players or sometimes the least um, 
we had to bring up, you know, we brought up Timo Meyer responding well to uh, adversity or criticism and Couture getting the full support of the staff, fully respecting the coach and protocol and everything in that sense. Uh, can't leave here without mentioning Evander Kane, can we, Shang? Nope. Um, I, I feel, though, Kane has had issues in the past in the locker room. Now, this isn't even speculation at all. This is the Buffalo problem, the Winnipeg problem. Kane has Evander Kane has been an issue in locker rooms. The Sharks knew this when they traded for him. Uh, everything seemed to be, uh, according to an outsider's perspective, okay under the Peter DeBoer era uh, with the the leadership core that the Sharks had there. Um, it seemed okay. The Sharks change coaches. Sharks start losing. Problems in the locker room start stemming, and it seems like the center of all of it is you know stems from Evander Kane. And we're talking exit interviews with players where he was complained about breaking COVID protocol, showing up late, so much to the point where he got into it with Rocky Thompson, almost got into a fight with a coach. So, I mean, how much of that can you can you put on Bob Bugner? Like, yeah, he's scoring the most points for you, but if he's breaking your rules, why is this guy not getting scratched? I don't, well, yeah, I don't that's what you can put up, Bob Bugner. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, why why was that never done? I don't recall a single game last season where Vander Kane was a healthy scratch due to, you know, non-medical no, reasons. No, there wasn't. Yeah, that would have so, been big news. You know, if he gets into it with your assistant coach and he's not disciplined for it, that's on Bob 100%, in, in my opinion, Shane. So. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with it. I think there's a little bit of, uh, you know, we're going to find out more about what happened in the years to come. Uh, someone's yeah. going to write, Evander Kane's going to write a tell-all book in like 10 years or something like that, right? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, definitely you can put it on Bob, and Bob even alluded to it in his own exit interview in May where he talked about, um, you know, letting some situations go more than he should have, and... Actually, I, I asked him a question last year, and just just a very general question, just like what did he learn uh, about himself as a coach this year? Mm -hmm. And he answered it, and as we learned, basically in a pretty candid way, uh, with what he said about yeah, I, I you know letting situations go, uh, you know giving you know I think he said something to effect of um, you know giving some some players kind of too much uh he didn't say the the word rope that wasn't his phrase but you know just just giving giving some players just too much leeway maybe gotcha. and we didn't know at the time though, but he was basically and not confirmed but i think we can guess very comfortably that he was talking about vander kane but we didn't know this in 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 may because this was before uh the the rumors uh, started or the you know the first big story about it was frank saravalli reported that uh sharks players complained about kane and their exit interviews with management um so anyway that's that's bob Murray admitting that 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 he was wrong and that he probably should have scratched Evander Kane last year or something, especially, you know, when we're getting closer to end of season and Sharks aren't making the playoffs. I mean, don't know, yeah, what would be the, the drawback at all? You know, like, if a guy is a locker room issue, but he's performing and getting you into the playoffs, you can kind of, well, I don't know, maybe you try to live with it. I don't know. I don't know if you should, but there's an, at least an argument for living with it at that point, right? Early in the season when the Sharks are in it. But by the end of the season, I mean, 
there's no reason at that point that the guy should be out there playing and, and accumulating stats if you have all these other issues with him and, and if uh, the team itself is uh, is not pleased with a lot of these things that are going on. Like you mentioned, you alluded to, uh, you know, uh, being late to practice, um, practices, not conforming with team dress code and things of that nature. I think uh, that's been put out there. Um, you know, maybe gambling, uh, you know, extracurricular activities when maybe it's not appropriate, maybe. Uh, and, and obviously the Rocky Thompson situation, too. Um some point uh bob boner has got to put his foot down and it sounds like that didn't happen last year uh what i do find interesting about this though and this is uh you know we talk about how this is bob's responsibility and it indeed is but somehow bob seems to have survived it in so far as he still has the respect of his room uh like i said uh, it seems like he very much has the support of a low couture of a brent burns very significant leadership uh, uh aspects of the sharks and so whatever happened last year with evander um bob is indeed you know the buck needs to stop there but it seems like the team to some degree has absolved him of it for i we don't know why well, you know maybe we'll figure out one day uh, because it's not obviously the team we're watching now, uh, the Sharks we're watching now is it's not a team that's given up on a coach or doesn't respect the coach. You know, they're a team that is playing, like I mentioned, uh, you know, when we talk about the Sharks becoming a defense first team, they're a team that's bought in. And a lot of that is because of Bob Bugner. And this is despite whatever happened with Evander Kane last year. Um, so. Again, you know, you're right to put the responsibility on Bob. I agree that that's where it should be. But I think it's also worth recognizing that whatever happened last year, uh, Bob's, I guess, reputation seems to have survived it in the room. Yeah, I mean, he, maybe he's that good of a coach from a player's perspective um, to be able to get, you know, you talked about more leeway to his players. Well, he's he's getting the the leeway from his players essentially in this, mm-hmm. and oh, they're allowing each other to mature and establish a better relationship moving forward. And that's just human, you know, forgiving people for their for their their mistakes during a COVID ridden season where he's just trying to keep people sane at that point, um, and allowing both himself and the team to move on together to work together to become a better version of themselves. So uh, maybe something along those lines, or maybe they're just happier. You never know. <laughs> so seems like it, but <laughs> uh, that was like, the, that's the, the, I guess the final example of getting the most of his players and where he could be fairly criticized and where he can be um, attributed to uh, improvement from his players. Our final topic here, we're going to keep a little bit, uh, short and sweeter special teams hey guys we're going to take a quick break to thank this week's sponsor DraftKings Sportsbook hockey fans DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NHL has a no-brainer offer that'll make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie new customers can bet just one dollar on any NHL game and win a hundred dollars in free bets if either team scores The NHL got rid of ties in 2005, so you know someone's going to score. And don't worry if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. 
It's pretty simple. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And I think special teams right. is one of the, the bigger things that's alluded to because of how horrendous it was in one aspect and just how great it was in the other aspect. So, as always, we start off with the good news and then we end with the bad <laughs> news. So. <laughs> yes, and, and the good news, uh, not surprisingly, <laughs> is the Sharks' PK. Uh, the Sharks' PK was number one in the league in 2019-20. I think it was 14th last year, and this year I'm not sure. I think it's a, like fifth or something. I'm not. I, I'm not sure where it is right now. But anyway, in the Bob Bugner uh, era, uh, since Bob took over in uh, December, uh, let me make sure I get my years right now because I got uh, December. 2019. Since Bob took over in December 2019, the Sharks PK is sixth best uh, in the NHL, and this is with a lot of transition in terms of the top penalty killers. Uh, we ended 2019-20 with Melker Carlson and uh, Barkley Gaudreau, you know, killing killing a lot of penalties, um, and then. Uh, well, Goudreau was traded in 2019-20, but uh, still, yeah, those are the, the two main guys when Bob Bugner took over, killing penalties. And then, you know, last year we transitioned more to a lot more Evander Kane on it, uh, a lot more uh, Logan Couture. Um, and then this year, Nick Menino, Andrew Cogliano have been added into the mix. But it's been a consistent, uh, it's been a, a kind of a bedrock for the Sharks that they can lean on their PK even in the worst of times. Yeah, I think that's, and, and we've talked about it before, taking Eric Carlson off the PK, putting Eric Carlson back on the PK. Like you said, it's just been a revolving door, mm -hmm. but the foundation remains the same, like you said. Um, so that's, you can never complain about a great PK especially in a league where, you know, you have Alex Ovechkin and Austin Matthews and all these other star high caliber players that are just, you know, Max Pacioretty, another name that will haunt the Sharks. The guys just monsters on the power play. If you can limit that, that's a, that's a, a, you know, a testament to the head coach, to the coaching staff and the system put in place. Yeah, no, I'm going to uh, uh, give credit to, you know, they seem to kill penalties the same way as they did in the Peter DeBoer era. Uh, basically, it's like fairly passive pressure up ice. And then it's a lot of pressure in zone. Uh, one forward uh, 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 trying to pressure whoever has the, has the puck. Um, and they seem to, uh, like I said, carry, carry that through different... Uh, different penalty killers from a Mark Melker Carlson to a Evander Kane to a Nick Benino and successfully. Um, I think some credit has to be given to the defensemen who have stayed consistent uh, on the PK in this time. Probably actually more than anybody, Brent Burns. Uh, he's the one that keeps 
playing big minutes on the PK. You know, Mario Ferraro didn't really emerge until last year as a big uh, penalty killer. Uh, Mark Edward Vlasic, on the other hand, has gone the other way. Mark Edward Vlasic was the Sharks' leading uh, in terms of uh, – uh, time uh, usage. Uh, he was the leading penalty killer in 2019-20, and it's dropped now to where Vlasic sometimes is on a PK, sometimes isn't. Uh, Carlson, like you mentioned, uh, it's been a little off and on. 2019-20, uh, he still was a regular part of the PK. That was the league best PK. Uh, last year, he was taken off of it for significant stretches, of significant periods of time during the year. Uh, this year, once again, he's a more regular part of it. And so, if you look at the guys who have been consistently on the PK for the last three years, Brent Burns, Logan Couture, uh, Tomas Hurdle, uh, those are the guys that, you know, got to give some, uh, some props to them. Yeah, and if they can continue with that defense and it, you know, it goes back to that defense first mentality and identity that we talked about that Bob Bugner's instilling into the team. It's rolling out from the PK and into five on five now. Um, and mirroring, <clears throat> excuse me, voice crack there mirroring this. Uh, it's a dark mirror. So <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. It's the, yeah. If, if you guys are Star Trek fans, this is the mirror universe. So <laughs> yeah. Flipping that coin from heads to tails. We have the power play for the sharks, which was dreadful last season. Uh, third worst in the NHL. And you know, they, they brought, uh, Christmas movie uh, star John McClain on the Sharks roster this year to try to help with that, and, and it has. We're, we're getting the league average, folks. We're Just hold on to your socks. We're getting there. Um, but over his tenure, over you know Bob Bugner's tenure, it's been sixth worst in the NHL. PK sixth best. Power play sixth worst. Um, really good offensive, or sorry, really great defensive team with not so great offensive numbers and it seems to affect the power play in, in in such of a sense and it started out hot much like it did last year it started out great lebank was la ovechkin we had uh great screens from you know surprise uh net front power play jasper weatherby uh, or lord jasper as he's he is known now um as well as a uh, third line center add on nick Benino, who you know didn't get any points but it was points by screening essentially if you want to put that in your head it started out hot and it's kind of leveled out now but that's another area in which um you know Bugner's brought in his personnel to execute these special teams and it, it doesn't seem to be uh consistently succeeding whereas it's going on streaks more than anything really really good to start the year and then kind of tumbling down a cliff there for a minute i think they were one for 15 for a stretch and it was not looking good. So it just seems more inconsistent than just overall terrible in this season so far. Right, yeah. Uh, at least this year, like you said, they, they've been about average. And maybe that's about what you can expect from the team's talent level, about average overall. And so maybe can't complain too much about this year. Last year, you certainly could complain, like you mentioned, third worst. Um, has to be noted again, it's not to put it all on his plate, but... Bob Bugner brought Rocky Thompson in last offseason to revitalize the power play. Um, Rocky Thompson was known in previous coaching stops to be very creative on the power play in terms of breakouts and that sort of thing. 
And the Sharks actually were pretty good in terms of uh, gaining the zone, uh, using that breakout to gain the zone on the power play uh, last year. But it translated to virtually zero offense, obviously. And I think that uh, last year there was a little more of an emphasis on, and again, this was, you know, we talked about this earlier. Um, Bob wanted to, I think, give his offensive stars, his big star names, another chance to be superstars still and to kind of carry, you know, carry the load uh, uh, when given to them. And so there was sort of that that thought last year, you know, there's sort of that emphasis on more cross-lot kind of passes, more of an east-west game a little bit in terms of offense and also on the power play, uh, letting Brent, Burns letting Eric Carlson kind of take the reins and you know do what what they had done for a significant part of their of their career, um, but it just did not work out obviously right. Yeah. And so this year, going to this year with John McClain, uh, the edict was very simple. It was let's get a lot of shots. <laughs> let's get a lot of fucking <laughs> shots on that. Yeah, let's just pepper him. Let's not think about it too much. Simplify, simplify, right? And that's helped yield uh, an average power play, which is not great, but um, it, it might be getting the most out of the talent you have because you don't have Brent Burns in his prime anymore. I think Brent is still a very good player, but he's not in his prime anymore. It doesn't seem like it. You don't have Joe Pavelski in front of the net tipping in whatever Brent Burns slings at the net. You don't have, uh, you know, you might have something closer to, but I don't know if you, you have Eric Carlson in his like Norris Trophy prime uh, right now at the moment, even though Eric has had a very good season and a lot of analytics uh, support uh, or show uh, that or suggest that he is having kind of a, a, a renaissance season. So anyway, I think, uh, like I mentioned, that Bob probably, Bob and John McClain are probably getting the, the most, out of this average is probably about what you would expect this this power play to function at. Um, and I think uh, last year, uh, Bob and Rocky Thompson, they sort of made the big bet that they were still getting, uh, they, they were still working with like a prime level Norris Trophy caliber, Brent Burns, Eric Carlson. So let's, you know, let them uh, let them dictate the 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 sandbox kind of you know let them do what they want on the playground and that didn't quite lead anywhere um and this year it was this year the edict is just shoot and it's it's worked to to some degree this year um but anyway uh by and large though the power play has been ugly in uh, bob's time here uh that we were even talking about average as being woohoo you know we've uh, achieved something here yeah, and I think it points to growth, right? We talked, you, you said they wanted Burns and Carlson to not only dictate what they were going to do, they put them out on the damn power play line together for so long, mm-hmm. even though it showed that it didn't work. So um, it was more about just, uh, I don't know the correct phrase here. It's, well, it's, uh, I think you, you mentioned earlier, it's kind of recognizing what you have now. Right. And recognizing that who you have now and not trying to uh, not 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 trying to expect 
that they're the same players that they were five years ago. Yeah. So and, maturing yeah, so, and, and, and moving on together as as a coach and realizing that and it may have taken him longer and it's fair to criticize him for that. And that's what we're here doing. Uh, objective criticism of uh, maybe taking a little too long to make adjustments or adaptations. And it seems like the power play, it took an entire season's worth of failure essentially to in, in bringing in a whole new power play coach to get it back to the KISS model. Keep it simple, stupid. Yep. We're trying to we're trying to emulate Floyd Mayweather on the man advantage. We're just throwing jabs and playing defense. So that's what this is. San Jose Mayweather team, essentially. <laughs> so that um those are the three main points that we wanted to talk about with with everyone and, and just kind of give our objective point of view on it. The team identity, um, getting the most of his players and special teams. And so we want to kind of cap it off. We know it's been a bit of a, a longer talk about Bob, but it, it's warranted. We want to be as in-depth as we can, especially when it comes to uh, trying to say whether or not a man should lose his job. Um, so we're just going to wrap up our closing thoughts and whether or not uh, we believe Bob should be on the hot seat. Shane, we'll start with you. Well, this year it seems like Bob Bugner is getting the team uh, is getting to put the team he wants out there um and guys are buying in and I, I i i believe all that i believe guys are bought in um i am watching a way more competitive brand of sharks hockey there's rare a game that this, this year that the sharks have been blown out it's probably only been a couple of them whereas last year was a pretty frequent occurrence for the sharks team to really just seem like they had no chance to win a game um so this year, it seems like he's got it, which is great. But also means a season and a half of Sharks hockey that's passed and sort of in the woods. And of course, there have been a number of extenuating circumstances, be it COVID, being terrible depth, especially up front, which is not, again, not a, not a Bob problem. Uh, underperforming stars, you know, the, you can't blame Bob if, you know, Eric Carlson, just his game wasn't there or... Classics, you know, body has sort of betrayed him, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Troubles, pro, troublesome stars like Evander Kane, which maybe you can blame Bob for some of that. But anyway, for a lot of this stuff, though, you can't blame Bob. So I would say that looks like this season in particular, we're going to get a really excellent litmus test for Bob Bugner. He's got enough of the right guys playing his brand of hockey. They're reasonably healthy so far, and his stars have been pretty productive all in all. And so can he squeeze out a playoff appearance from this team? And I think one thing that people will ask is, well, you know, how come they didn't take advantage and hire a, a Bruce Boudreaux or whatever, right, over the last couple of years or last year or something like that, right? I'll be honest. I don't know if another coach could have got a lot more out of this team last year or the team that Bob took over from Pete. Maybe. Maybe. But I don't think Bruce Boudreaux comes in and magically repairs Eric Carlson's ankle and Eric Carlson can suddenly defend the rush and, and, and whatnot. Uh, I don't think, a, you know, I don't think a – I don't know, Peter Laviolette comes in and all of a sudden Mark Edward Vlasic is 2000, you know, 2014 Olympian Mark Edward Vlasic again. Um, so I'm not going to 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kill Bob as much for that 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 kind of stuff. That I think it, a lot of it is out of his hands there. Uh, but I do think that this year is going to be a good lit- litmus test. And I don't know if he needs to make the playoffs to kind of avoid being on the hot seat. But I do think that he's really got to be in, in this until the end to avoid that hot seat. You know, if this is another year where the Sharks fall out sometime a month before the end of the season and you know they end up 10, 15, whatever number of points behind, um, and they weren't really in the race in the last month, you know, not just mathematically in a race, but really in the race there, then I think there's going to be a question, a fair question of, is Bob Bungler getting the most out of his overall team? Because I do think, I do think that with Timo's emergence and with Eric Carlson kind of playing a revived brand of hockey, and the team overall showing that they can play a pretty good defensive style, you know, it's going to be on Bob here to squeeze out as much offense as he can to kind of, you know, like I said, right now the Sharks are, Sharks are scoring at 2.6 goals per game. They're giving up 2.8. Can Bob eke out just a little more offense beyond the power play or five on five to get that 2.6 closer to, uh, you know, uh, closer to that 2.8? Um, and so, you know, the goal differential there is, 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 uh, is, uh, exact zero or even score just a little bit more, uh, than, than that score a little bit more than you're giving up. And then that gives you a pretty good shot at the playoffs. Um, so ultimately to answer the question, should Bob Bugner be on the hot seat? In my mind, it depends on how he finishes this season. You know, this season, I think is going to be the one that you really, really will be able to judge him on. And to prevent the echo chamber effect from happening, um, I will keep my answer a little bit, you know, it'll be varied from Shane, but the answer is almost essentially the same. And that's why we we structured this episode and this talk this way, um, because Shane and I had very similar views when we were writing this up and, and documenting this outline with Bob, uh, or about Bob, I should say, because imagine if Bob was actually here with Bob, Bob's doing it with us. He's like, should I be on the hot seat, guys? He's actually just over there chilling in my in my office. But um, no, I'm I understand uh, from a fan's perspective, watching this boring defensive brand of hockey leaves a, a lot left for you to be desired. And I understand that it's been a very frustrating last three years, coming off of uh, one of the most lengthy playoff consecutive playoff appearances. Um, you know, in NHL history for, you know, as a franchise. Um, I think it's important to realize as well that I, you have to understand where the bar is set for Bob as well. There's very little expectation for Bob and this Sharks team, in my opinion, that the Sharks know, the fans know as, as much as you try to call it, whatever you want to call it, a retool, a reset, a rebuild. Uh, we're in that mode. That's where we're at now. And, it's safe to say that Bob might might be or may be the best option right now, currently at this moment, uh, to write out these retool years and um, establish this sort of system as opposed to trying to go out there and grab a John Tortorella and, and, and shock the, the, you know, add a, a, that pH shock to the locker room, essentially, you know, shock that pool. So... Uh, referencing back to what we've talked about, he hasn't been dealt the best hand with players. And yeah, it may have taken him significantly longer than what you'd hope to um, 
bench players that are that are not producing or demote players like LeBanc or possibly even scratch guys like Shimek and Vlasic where it was, well, one of these guys are sitting for Nicholas Malosh, and that happened earlier this season. Um, understand that growth happens. This is his fifth year as a head coach, and he has full trust in in his in his guys, and his guys seem to have full trust in him. So uh, what would it take for him to be... Uh, let go. I, I I said it before. It would be a catastrophic, like some cataclysmic collapse from the Sharks. F- losing fifteen of twenty is what I said to Shang, like around the playoff race. That would that would be the bat signal to let Bob go. Do I see that happening? No. I think the chances are very low, and I don't think that he needs to make the playoffs like Shang said to keep his job. I think that they're going to continue to write out his contract, and they're going to continue to build this team how they have been building through the draft and and build it in his system so no um i don't think bob should be on the hot seat right now but i don't think that it would be i don't think it's impossible for him to land on the hot seat by the end of the season yeah and just to add to um all that uh doug wilson has said uh the last couple of off seasons that he believes the sharks team is a playoff team um, that sounds more like what he has to say, though, to be honest, though. Uh, I think I said this before in previous podcasts that when we look at Doug Wilson's moves, it's not the moves of a general manager that thinks his team is a cup contender. He's yeah. not trying to add that that last piece. He's not uh, putting all his chips in the middle of the table like he used to. Uh, to get that Eric Carlson type to bring in, I don't know who's been available over the last few years, be it, a, I don't know, Tyler Toffoli in free agency or a Philip, uh, Philippe Dano in free agency or to try to trade for Jack Eichel or whatever, right? That's not been, uh, Doug Wilson hasn't been anywhere in, in those conversations as far as we know. So when Doug Wilson says that he thinks these Sharks teams are playoff teams, and then, uh, like last year, right? He said that before last year, and that team was not a very good team, and that team finished far from the playoffs. If Doug Wilson really believes that this is, uh, you know, surefire playoff team, he would have fired Bob right then and there because, well, you know, I gave you Bob Bugner a surefire playoff team, and you, you, you didn't take it to the playoffs. Obviously, then, in, you know. Doug Wilson, I don't think, really believes that that this team, like you mentioned, Nick, you know, the Sharks are in this sort of reset mode, they call it, right? And so I don't I don't know if there's a, a high, even though in the public face of it, they had to say that they believe that this is a playoff team. Um, there's, there's not a lot of evidence that they actually think, that Doug Wilson actually thinks that this is a playoff team. And so keeping Bob uh, in a lot of ways, like you said, maybe the, the, the best option uh, for now uh, and let him work with the players and let him develop the players. And it does seem like, I think if we give Bob some credit to in, in general, that it seems like, and maybe you know, this is kind of, I'm bringing this up out of nowhere to end our conversation, but it seems like he's done, I think a good job of integrating younger players and giving them pretty good opportunities in good places to succeed. And, you know, we can name, I can rattle off guys that have been given good opportunities with uh, with the Sharks' better players and have, you know, kind of uh, taken taken the reins and run with it, be it a Rudolph Balzers or Alexander Barabanov uh, or Jonathan Dolan. 
Uh, Mario Ferraro uh, was, you know, Bob Bugner told us last last training camp in Arizona, Mario Ferraro is a top four defenseman right now. That's basically what he told us. And we kind of like, oh, what, what are you talking about? Mario Ferraro in his rookie season played 13 minutes a night or something like that. You know, you're already calling him. Uh, Bob, you know, Bob, Bob was a former defenseman. He, he knows definitely what he's watching on, on, on his defensive end. Um, and so I think that, I, th- I think that when we're talking about being in a reset, um, and when you're in this reset, you want to try to integrate these younger players and try to figure out basically which of these younger players are still going to be with you when you're out of your reset and ready to really contend again. And Bob, I think, has done an okay job of, like I said, giving guys opportunities. I know there's going to be some uh, some people bemoaning that uh, Sasha Chimileski didn't give didn't get more of a shot last year or there's other guys like that out there i don't know uh i think there's alexander true truthers out there too um but i think by and large though i think that that bob has given young guys a good shot and the guys who have been decent the guys who can swim are still swimming with the sharks and the guys who couldn't are in other organizations like an alexander true or a Dylan Gambro or something like that. Um, and, uh, or they're still with the Barracuda where they should be. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a good end there. It's a good cap off there for our, uh, Bob Bugner, almost hour and a half now. Holy Toledo. Shang. <laughs> Jeez. We, we can talk. Can't we? Good thing we have a podcast, right? <laughs> um, moving on, I guess. Or closing, our... closing up, closing up shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, closing up. But we we want to leave you with something, guys. It's Christmas time, okay? Boys, girls, children of all ages, whatever you may identify as, it is Christmas time. It is time for cheer. It's time for you know presents and all the magic associated with Christmas. I am in a big Christmas household. I got a two-story house. I had to put lights on the very top. It was highly dangerous. I had to fashion a prod. It was a whole story for another day. But um, we are bringing in this week's, it's not a Sport Logic stat of the week. It's your Christmas stat of the week. We're not just bringing you stats about Christmas either, like how many tree fires or how many fires are caused by trees. No, we're going to give you some insider information as far as, like what we talked about on the intro, our. What was it? Our our favorites. I'm going to scroll back up here to make sure I'm quoting myself again correctly. Our most loved, underrated, and overrated Christmas movies. So we're going to tell you what we love the most, give you a little underrated movie that we might like, and then piss some people off because we're going to call some of your favorite Christmas movies overrated. And the DMs are going to be on fire like Christmas trees if you leave uh, old school you know, lights on overnight. So, Shang... We're going to start with your favorite. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Well, call me an old fuddy-duddy, but my favorite Christmas movie is It's a Wonderful Life. And I'm a big uh, I'm a big uh, classic movie fan. I'm a big uh, Jimmy Stewart fan. Um, and so that movie just kind of moves me in sort of all all the all, all the right places. And it's sort of, you know, as as I as I get older and you know, you're probably going to uh, you're, you're you've probably experienced this to some degree as a family man yourself, Nick. Like, that's a place that you want to get to as as a man at the end of the at, at the end of that movie. 
uh, you know, to, you know, George Bailey, the richest man in town, right? And obviously they're not talking about uh, necessarily just a dollar and cents, right? But uh, yeah. in your household, you know, in your immediate circle, your friends, your family, uh, to be uh, so uh, beloved. And so, yeah, I actually uh, watched that recently, uh, not to make this uh, uh, too, too tear-jerky, but I watched this on the road recently. It was on the road uh, when I was traveling. Uh, I'm not sure where I saw it. Uh, maybe it was when I was in Columbus or, uh, you know, on the, anyway, the recent road trip. And uh, I almost cried. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't cry a lot at movies, actually not at all. Uh, but just something, something about it. And I've seen this movie a million times, you know, but, uh, um, but, you know, maybe just being on the road and being away from my own family at, at that moment, uh, my wife, uh, you know, our dog, Mushu, uh, Mushu of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, it just sort of struck, struck a chord right there that, you know, that I, I wanted, I, you know, wanted to, to, to get home and anyway. So it's a, it's a movie that, that always sort of, it's corny. You know, uh, I don't believe in angels, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's, not, that's not controversial in this day and age, but I do well, not. Los Angeles angels, maybe. But. <laughs> yeah, maybe the last. Yeah, I do believe in Shohei Otani. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, but 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 just the overall sort of, uh, like, like I said, overall sense of community that is that is, uh, you know, that is a. Uh, espouse in a movie that is sort of the the linchpin of the movie i guess the community that's the linchpin of the movie um is is sort of uh yeah is is the kind of thing i guess that probably i i i aspire to in the end uh being you know and i've written this about this you know a little bit on my website uh uh before um you guys might know that my dad passed away in uh, july 2020 and he was never very close with him um, so it's a little different than the storyline in, in, in the movie because that's your, your all-American sort of family and, and that sort of thing. But still, though, that sense of community uh, is something that, I guess, resonates uh, a lot with me, even, even if it's just a small community of, of, of you know, myself and my wife and our dog and our friends and some of my family and that sort of thing. That's great to hear, Shang. You have this beautiful story and background behind yours and i'm just a kid so <laughs> you know you're, you're talking about community here allow me to segue into my my favorite or my my most beloved here what better community than the whoville community and how the grinch <laughs> stole christmas and th we're talking about the jim carrey edition of how the grinch stole christmas i have been um I have a lot of comedic mannerisms of Jim Carrey. I grew up like one of my favorite movies was Liar Liar. Uh, I just I loved all of his work. Big Ace Ventura guy as well. Yep. So it's just like his his comedy throughout. It's just progressed as I've gotten older. And so like when How the Grinch Stole Christmas came out, starring him, he's perfectly dad bod and all encapsulated that character like top to bottom and like. Hats off to the dog as well. Played great. Played great in there. But just, <laughs> it, it was my all-time favorite. And then, uh, you know, just to to add symbolism to it or add some sort of meaning to it is uh, after he steals all the presents, essentially, you know, there's that they all gather around 
the Christmas tree or, or gather around each other, hold hands, and they sing their, their songs. And it's like, it's not about the presents. And I try to like relay this to my toddler son. And he's like, nah, dad, I want a blue fire truck for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, a blue fire truck, by the way. That's, yeah. Thanks. Well, at least he doesn't want a switch or something like that. So you should. He uh, already has count. one. <laughs> oh, all right. I was say count your dollars, but all right. Yeah. No, that's that's a uh, that was my switch that we share. So. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, that's different. That's your switch that yeah. he gets to play if he's good and he eats his broccoli. Twenty four seven. No, it's it's by far might seem too mainstream. Um, how the Grinch stole Christmas, and oh, I throw my I movie is as mainstream as as possible. So yeah. <laughs> Honorable mention to every single claymation out there. The Island of Misfit toys, the Heat Miser, the Snow Miser, um, Eon, all that. I love the claymation, but like, there's a special spot in my heart for how the Grinch stole Christmas. So that's my most loved Christmas movie. Now, moving on to underrated. Shang, you got a spicy one coming up here. Well, I have another uh, classic one, and I actually didn't realize that it is a Christmas movie. It's sort of kind of like Die Hard, where (laughs) it's set at Christmas time, and you don't really think about it. At least I never thought about it in association with Christmas, because I thought about it more as the two people in the movie and the two sort of broken people in the movie. And the movie is The Apartment, uh, 1960, uh, starring Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine, directed by Billy Wilder. And Jack Lemmon's character is basically this low-level office worker, and he loans his apartment out to his womanizing superiors so they can you know, have their affairs in secrecy. And he's doing that because he's hoping to get promoted one day. So it's really as sort of, a, in some ways, as base or low a character that you kind of start off with, you know? And Shirley MacLaine's character is an elevator girl in Jack Lemmon's office, and she is a part of one of those affairs. You know, she's in love with one of the bosses. And, of course, the boss promises her that, that he'll leave his wife. And, of course, he never does. And anyway, uh, this movie is sort of about these two, these two kind of broken people that kind of find each other. And all around during Christmas and uh or it's you know set during christmas and uh it's one of the 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 more uh beautiful movies that i've ever watched uh i always you know if it's on i always leave it on and again i never thought of it i guess it's not an underrated movie in a sense that it's one of the you know it's one of the all-time classics and billy wilder if you know any of his work uh, sunset boulevard you know he's directed so many so many great movies and this is one of the great movies that he's that he's directed but i put it in the underrated section only that i forget that it's a christmas movie and i think that you know christmas again you know christmas that time of community um and these are two people that don't have that community and they're able to it takes a it takes a while but they're able to find it kind of uh, uh with each other eventually you're just a sappy little romantic, aren't you? <laughs> I am. I am. Yeah, yeah I was a ton of. Uh, you know, I'm. I'm a big. Uh, I'm a big movie buff, as you probably can guess. So it was really hard to choose my favorite Christmas movie. So many honorable mentions, but you know, a lot of them are all along that same lines of uh, that. Uh, uh, yeah, that sort of uh, uh, romantic kind of thing. You know, good or bad. So. <laughs> 
I just have like little personal gag reasons, and you're like, so here's the entire thesis that well, I wrote <laughs> on this movie, and <laughs> my, my overrated list might be a little more more gag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're gonna piss some people off. It's okay. <laughs> uh, my underrated, and this might come to, uh, I mean, this might irritate some people as well. Home Alone three. Yeah, yeah, not one, not two. Three. This is the third installment, obviously the number three of the Home Alone series, mainly because it's closer to my um, my age group. Obviously, this is the Home Alone that I actually grew up with. I didn't watch Home Alone one or two until after three, significantly after three. Three was uh, released in ninety seven. Uh, Home Alone one was released in ninety, and then ninety two for Home Alone two. Uh, I was born in ninety four, Shang. So. I had no reason to watch either yeah. of those. And fun uh, fact about me, uh, Home Alone, uh, the first Home Alone is actually the first time that I was taken to a movie theater. So it's <laughs> a pretty go. awesome experience when you're a kid. So. <laughs> a, little, a little unique experience there. Yeah, Always going to be the first time. <laughs> yeah, when you have your uh, giveaway on your subscribers list, uh, that'll be on the Shang Trivia. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. <laughs> but for me, Home Alone 3 was like, uh, you know, it's they like the, I don't know. It just it's it was the best it, it, to me. You have double the amount of bad guys, obviously, because you know with the the what was it the sticky bandits or the wet yeah. bandits? There's only two of them, whereas you got four spies trying to steal a chip, and it's in California, or excuse me, it's in Chicago. They were they started in San Francisco because of the whole Silicon Valley reference, and they ended up in Chicago. But it's uh, I don't know. It just it it was just the best one to me. I, I prefer it over one and two, and even the most recent one. I still prefer Home Alone three. Um, I like the different antics and the the different. It's not the exact same stuff over and over. It's a completely different uh, prank, essentially. Especially with the, a lot of electricity, you're shocking the shit out of them, and then like the automated push mowers cutting the guy's hair. I don't know. I just I feel like this is one of the more underrated, not just Christmas movies, but Home Alone movies in general. So it's a great uh, choice for underrated. I mean, like uh, I I love you know more my age level, but I love Home Alone one and two. I actually just had it on recently as background. Uh, I've only watched three once. It didn't make much of an impression on me, but maybe I was too old for it. But mm -hmm. uh, one uh, fun fact about Home Alone three, just looking it up uh, recently, uh, is a very early appearance of uh, Scarlett Johansson. Yep, she was his uh, older sister, yep. and uh, I watched it, and I was like, Scarlett Johansson's in this movie? There's no way. And then I saw the sister, I'm like, oh, my God, she's a child. She is literally a child. Yeah. So, um, But, of course, uh, iconic line, Home Alone, the original, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. <laughs> um, so that's capping off the underrated section. Now, Shane, we're going to boil some blood here overrated start with your overrated you have two here. i have a couple of them yeah my... and i have pretty pretty uh, uh brief reasons for them so i won't be for once talking too much uh <laughs> jingle all the way just not funny i've never laughed at that movie really and i love arnold schwarzenegger comedy movies you know i love uh ironic arnold movies like total recall commando i love totally comedic arnold movies like twins or kindergarten cop love kindergarten cop <laughs> love one, yeah. kindergarten cop Jingle All the Way just never did it for me. And I watched that movie when I was a kid. I watched it recently, you know, the rewatch, see if I can get into it. Just always felt it was overacted uh, from Arno to Sinbad. Never really quite 
just never just never really did it for me. I just never never enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think it's like the worst. It's not like the worst Christmas movie ever, but uh, I don't know if it deserves the reputation. You know, it's usually in that. It's not in your top 10 Christmas movie, but usually makes your top 25, top 50. Uh, the next one here is probably going to upset some people. And I've actually never watched this movie in full till recently uh, because I've read the book and uh, Polar Express. And the only thing I got to say about that is, damn, those 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 kids, the CGI is creepy as fuck. Like I, I <laughs> the the you know it, that that was I guess one of those early attempts for that the photo re, like the more photorealistic CGI. Yep. I wish they didn't go there because it just makes everybody look creepy. And so nothing wrong with the with the book, nothing wrong with the movie, and so far as this the storyline and whatnot. But all the people are just really really shady looking and not anybody that and not to judge anybody by how they look or book by its cover i would not want to be friends with anybody in that movie it just they just look really really strange to me look you're, you're not judging someone for how they look you're judging them for how their graphics are rendered and exactly that was, exactly that was supposed yeah. to be like cutting edge at that time i don't know if you remember this yeah we yeah watched for that this time yeah shang we watched this movie last night my son's very first time watching polar express <laughs> He told me, he's like, Dad, you owe me a cookie because it was a boring movie. I was like, oh, my God. He's bargaining cookies over bad movies, apparently. All I'm going to say is, you know, Cutting Edge at the time, you know, maybe give it another year or two. So then, you know, <laughs> so Cutting yeah. Edge is a little bit more than just, you know, Cutting Edge for Cutting Edge's sake. You know, it like it, yeah. didn't, it just it just looks so, so dated now and it looked dated back then. And. Yeah, <laughs> I will say great voice acting from Tom Hanks and all the different characters. Oh, sure, that he, sure, that he sure, voiced. sure, sure. But yeah, I can agree. The CGI was definitely. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure why they didn't do live action or, uh, you know, if they had to do do animated. Just why? Why did they go that way? You know, I know uh, the director Robert Zemeckis is known for kind of pushing the envelope and and pushing the envelope of technology. But uh, I'll just say that technology was probably. I don't know, a couple years uh, earlier than, than it should have been, you know, uh, you know, maybe waited to, you know, should have waited for Avatar, you know, that kind of, you know, CGI, yeah. Before, yeah, he, you know, he pushing so you know, Avatar you know. could run. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. All right. A couple of bold choices there for Shang's uh, overrated list. I might, I'm probably going to piss off some people with this one. You I are. Yeah. Care. I don't like this, 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 uh, I, this choice I, at all. Yeah. Listen. Okay. Let me explain something to you. There are, there are good movies, there are bad movies, and then there are okay movies that just get shoved down your throat constantly through, I mean, just consistently over time, just pushed in your face like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is not that great of a movie. I'm sorry. It is average at best. That's all I'm going to say. Like, it... The amount of times it just gets continuously pushed in your face is like one, oh, this is the best Christmas movie ever. It's like, eh, Christmas Story is even better than that one. And I'd, I'd even say Christmas Story is a bit overrated in its sense. I mean, they got the leg lamps. Pretty cool, you know? And, or, you know, the different one line. Oh, you shoot your eye out, kid. It's just dated at this point. It's beyond dated. It's not that funny. I've never been a big Chevy Chase guy. It's just... I don't know. 
it's just I mean, are you not a fan of the vacation movies in general? Because, you know, I love the yeah. first vacation movie. Even the European vacation. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I've liked all of them. I mean, I even watched <laughs> Vegas Vacation, which I, you know, can't believe that I spent two hours watching that one. Uh, but um, I didn't hate it, which probably tells you, you know, where I was at my life at that point, I guess. <laughs> I'll, I'll call it a, a even that, yeah, right. that one I did not like either. And I'll call it a generational gap thing. It just, mm-hmm. none of the comedy appealed to me. Okay. It, it just, what I even understood, I understood the references, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not ignorant in the sense that I just didn't get the jokes. Like, I under I understood the time. I, I knew all the jokes, and it was just like, it just wasn't that good. It, maybe it's because it didn't live up to the hype, mm-hmm. and then people continuously put it on. Oh, this is number one on the top five, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. you're wrong. So, <laughs> but yeah, most overrated Christmas movie for huh. me is uh, Christmas. After, yeah, I, I I can't I can't I can't, I can't uh, ride with that. I like Christmas Vacation a lot. I mean, it's not like number one for me, obviously, or I would have said so. But uh, probably well, I, I don't even know what's top ten. You don't like 10. Turbo Man, so let's not talk about. It. <laughs> Well, that's another thing too. Like, come on, this is like 1997. Like, who cares about the Turbo Man? No one cares about you know. Get get a tie in in 1990. It's 1997. Get get Spider Man into it. Get something that a kid actually would care about. Get Pokemon, Power Rangers. That's what people cared about back then. No one cared about a knockoff, a knockoff, a generic toy called Turbo Man. Turbo Man looked like the kind of stuff that you get at 99 cent store back that's then. A... That's trying to trying to be the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, you know? So, yeah, so I, that's another thing I didn't get, that all this ado, much ado about this toy that, like, wasn't the, wasn't the least bit cool at all to begin with. So you wanted them to pay for the copyrights or the copyright properties for, like, an look, actual toy. Look, I, I, maybe I was a very astute teenager, right? But I thought yeah. to myself that, look, I was just a couple of years removed from being a kid. Like, I can tell that this is not a toy that any... Any 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 self respecting kid would ever really want, <laughs> <All right? laughs> and so if I could see that, then I I don't know why the audience over the last twenty five years hasn't seen the same thing. So who yeah, <laughs> what is great about this Turbo Man toy? So anyway, I I, I that's I I, I, I don't the whole movie just yeah. <laughs> Turbo Man is just Wish.com version of Iron Man. So yeah, so just you know, yeah, just pay, yeah, pay, pay for something, you know that that makes that makes more sense. So, all right, folks, <laughs> you you you've heard all of our hot takes for Christmas movies. Now that was our uh, our Christmas special segment that we wanted to do for you all. Again, just a again, we're taking up quite a bit of time here, but we don't care. We're here to entertain you and provide you with information all at the exact same time. So, all right, again, I, I want to hear from a listener who watched Jingle All the Way as a kid or as an adult and thought to himself, man, that Turbo Man is cool. I, I want a Turbo Man. I'll make sure to interview my father-in-law because every time it's on, <laughs> it's on. So oh, I'll ask okay, him. Okay, yeah, ask him. Yeah, ask him what's so great about Turbo Man. So. Superman. Will do, will do. Power Ranger knockoff, Turbo Man. Yeah. And for everyone else, Rocketeer, if you're listening to this, <laughs> go to our Twitter post for the new episode of this and give us your favorite Christmas movie. Give us your most overrated and give us your most underrated Christmas movies. Uh, go there, comment on the Twitter post. We'll talk to you guys. Uh, we'll give you our uh, thumbs up or thumbs down if we agree or we disagree. Uh, but make sure you head over to uh, at SJ Hockey. If now you pod. actually want a Turbo Man, I want to talk to you and find out what's wrong with you. 
yeah, yeah. DM Shang. We're gonna figure <laughs> out where the trauma began, and then. <laughs> but that's gonna wrap it up for us today. Another long one, but hey, that's what we're here. We're here to provide you with the content. So, this is Nick Floor signing off here, telling you all to stay safe and stay hydrated. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Mm-hmm.